You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Little America is a new Apple TV Plus anthology series that dramatizes true stories of immigrants across the country. Executive producers and writers Lee Eisenberg, Kamal Najani, and Emily Gordon join the Post to talk about the series. Let's listen. Good afternoon. Welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for the Washington Post. And I'm pleased to welcome the writers and executive producers of the Apple Plus series, Little America. At the top of your screen, you see six-time Emmy nominee and head writer for the hit television series, The Office, and breaking news, newly engaged to my friend, the writer, Emily Jane Fox. His name is Lee (laughs) Eisenberg. Also, actor, comedian, and star of the forthcoming Marvel's movie Eternals, Kumel Nanjiani and Academy Award-nominated writer Emily V. Gordon. Thank you all very much. Welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for the shot. At a time when the country is grappling with a lot of pain and uncertainty, I'm looking forward to this conversation about your uplifting, honest series about the American experience. I've watched two of the episodes, and they really are quite terrific. Lee, I want to start with you. As we just saw some highlights, from the show. This first season is an anthology that dives into eight distinct immigrant experiences in America, each based on a true story. How did you come to the to the project and where did you find these stories? You know, as a writer, you're always looking for new uh, new stories, new avenues. And I watched an episode of Master of None um, in the first season that was about um, Aziz's father and another character's father and their experience as immigrants. And I remember my father's uh, an immigrant from Israel. And I remember how much that episode affected me and just it became it became a real talking point. And I started thinking, why couldn't there be a show where every episode felt like that, where every episode, I, I was interested in the anthology um, genre and just taking all these different stories. And I really didn't have anything much more than that and I called Josh Behrman, um, who's a friend of mine who has a company called Epic Magazine. And I was just kind of looking for someone to, A, tell me the idea was viable or not. And he immediately jumped onto it and said, what if we started, uh, what if we took, you know, sent our researchers out all over the country and did a series of first person photo essays? And then that could be kind of the sales tool. So I got really excited about that. And we just started scouring the country. and. I would talk to all my parents, friends, and I would talk to Uber drivers. And uh, interestingly, one of the stories um, that I got from an Uber driver, I, I, it was this amazing story about his, uh, a, a trip that he had in New York. And I got his card and I passed it along to the researchers. And there's now a Little America book. And my Uber driver story is now in the book. So the stories really came from everywhere. And then as I started thinking about it as a series, I started thinking about who I want to collaborate with. And I'd been friends with Emily and Kamel for a few years. So I, uh, we all went out to dinner and I kind of pitched them what, what I was thinking about tonally and the stories that we had already started gathering and uh, they jumped into it. And then Alan Yang, who was one of the creators of Master of None, was also interested. So it just it ended up being kind of the a dream team of all my favorite uh, people that I'd been desperate to work with and this project kind of brought us all together. to you. When did you get involved and what attracted you to the project? 
Uh, yeah, as Lee said, he we went out to dinner with Lee and kind of caught up and he told us the very basics of this idea and immediately uh, my first thought was. So what? Uh, the first thought was I'd like to watch this show uh, and the second thought was I absolutely have to be involved in any capacity with making this show. I think um, after our uh, movie, we kind of got approached to be attached to a lot of different projects, and this was the only one that uh, we said yes to. I, it, I just thought it was such a beautiful idea because I think we see kind of the same story of how immigrants come to this country, and it's either a story of uh, suffering and strife, or it's a story of like the nobility, and all those stories are important, but we, there's a breadth of stories. There's uh, as many stories about how immigrants come to this country as there are immigrants. And I was really attracted to the idea that we could tell a breadth of stories about uh, immigrants coming to this country. Kamel, well, for both for both um, you and Emily, but I want to direct this to you. Uh, this is a subject matter that is close to both of you. The 2017 film, The Big Sick, which Big Sick, which you both co-wrote and received an Oscar nomination for best original screenplay, follows the evolution of an inter-ethnic couple loosely based on, on your relationship. How did that project inform your storytelling? I mean, I think what we learned specifically from that project was how to adapt real life events into a movie in a way that would be interesting to an audience that has no actual connection to the events of the film. So, so working on The Big Sick, we realized there were certain things that happened to us that felt really, really important, but in adapting it, it just didn't feel as interesting. So we sort of uh, got a lesson in how to keep things emotionally close to to the actual events, but not necessarily close in, you know, the facts didn't have to exactly line up. And I think that's the, that's the experience that we brought to adapting these stories and that, you know, uh, we, we, we only adapted them and changed stuff if it got to the emotions and the experience of the person at the center of them more. So that was, I would say, what the, the biggest lesson we learned from, from our movie. So I understand that you tried to find writers and directors for each episode that you felt were best positioned to tell the story at hand. Talk about the process and what qualifies someone to tell the story of another. I'll make that a jump ball. Go ahead, Lee. I think that they're, um, you know, with a show like this that's so character driven, you know, it's not a, there aren't crazy uh, story moves and there, there, aren't, there aren't car chases and the stakes aren't that the, you know, the president's son was kidnapped by terrorists. These are really, the show lives in, uh, in emotion in heart and comedy and in these small moments. And so we found as we were kind of digging into it that the writers that maybe were from the country of origin or, or were immigrants themselves or their parents were immigrants um, just had a different connection to the material and would, would add these details that really gave all of the episodes so much texture. So it wasn't one-to-one -one at all, um, but certainly, I mean, me and Kamel and Emily wrote a story about a uh, you know 50-something Persian man uh, none of us uh, fall into that category, but we were pulling from our own experiences. I, I put a lot of my dad into that story, and the director of that episode was Persian. And you know, just the details of what's on the table, what the what that apartment looks like, the wallpaper, uh, what they would have spent money on, what they wouldn't have spent money on, all those little things 
um, are cumulative in a show like this. And I think that's one of the things that people um, have enjoyed with it is that it feels it feels very lived in. Mm-hmm. Lee, let, let me ask you another question. The, the, the episodes are also available in numerous languages. Is this typical for an American television series or is this something that you worked out with Apple Plus? I think that Apple Apple's an international brand and I think when they launch a show, I think it just becomes, um, I think it just gets dropped everywhere at the same time. Um, I'm, not, I'm not certain of that, but I'm pretty sure. And I think Camille and Emily are much more active on Twitter. I just uh, signed on recently and uh, don't totally know how to use it. But from what I understand, they can speak to it more. <laughs> the audience for the show, and I've been getting emails from my friends that uh, that live all over the world. I think that because Apple is a global brand, I think something really exciting has happened, which it is a show that I think is attracting international audience in a different way. And and. I'll make this also a, a jump ball. How has the show been uh, received overseas? Um, honestly, it's been, the reception has been fantastic and to me surprising because, you know, the show is specifically about people moving to America. So I assume the audience would be an American audience because it is specific to America. But uh, as Lee was saying on Twitter and, you know, we've just heard from people all over the world. I'll see people in other languages talking to each other about the show, and then, of course, a copy pasted into Google Translate to make sure, <laughs> you know, that what they're saying is good. But uh, I feel like the reaction has been has been overwhelmingly positive from all over the world, specifically episodes related to specific countries. Those countries we hear, you know, we just hear, as Lee was saying, the show lives in the details, and I think people from those places really appreciate it and recognize those de- details, you know, the, the fact that, um, in the in the Nigerian episode, uh, they used Bisquick to make fufu, and and people reached out and said, "Wow, how did you guys know that? That is what we what we've been doing here." So Emily, maybe I'll I'll direct this this question to you. But Little America is notably absent of big names, and and the actors come from all over the world. Was this casting strategy deliberate? Very much so. Uh, I think um, it was an interesting show to pitch, just be like, okay, here's the show. It's an anthology series, no stars. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's what was great about Apple is that they were kind of on board for that. But I do feel like um, we wanted it to be as authentic as possible across the board. And that includes uh, people not kind of pretending and, and like exaggerating accents or, or people were casting people and then trying to get them into kind of dialect training. That stuff works too. but. Um, we had the benefit of having an amazing casting crew that helped us to find all over the world and all over the country actors that um, would have the the correct accents, act, like actors that could speak the languages that they needed to speak to their characters. And you don't just do that because it's like the right thing to do. You do it because it makes the show better. Um, and I, what's lovely and what I hope that we are showing other people is you can take these actors that have not had a chance to star in a in anything yet and show that they are worthy of being the stars of these shows. You don't necessarily need a big name actor that everyone recognizes to tell a story that people will find compelling. I hope I hope people take uh, that lesson from our show. That would be great. Um, Kamel, I want to. I... We're going to get to uh, one of the episodes, the cowboy. But Kamel, I've got to ask you. You have a romantic comedy out with Issa Rae called Lovebirds. 
I've actually seen it. I watched it a, a few weeks ago. And it's a story of it's two non-white leads, which is still somewhat of a rarity in Hollywood. <laughs> Do you feel like this is still an anomaly an anom <laughs> an anomaly or is it becoming the norm? It's certainly still an anomaly, you know. I mean the fact that the number of movies uh, with non-white leads, the fact that we can name them or that we can start to name them means that there's a lot more work to be done. That said, we have made some strides. You know, I don't think you would have seen a movie with a Pakistani guy and a black woman as the lead even five years ago. And the fact that we have all these new uh, outlets such as Apple and Netflix, um, and it feels like they're really, uh, because they have an, an international audience, they are trying to get more diversity in there. We certainly have a long way to go, but uh, I have seen some progress in the years that I've been acting. And also that the movie wasn't contingent on the two of you being not white. That's what I like. The movie was just about a couple um, and not right. a story about uh, the two of you being non-white and also being put in a situation. I, I just, and also I loved it, but I'm biased. <laughs> and that and that's what I loved about the movie. I mean, one, I was howling out laughing, laughing from from beginning to end. And then just the the two of you, you just sort of you're just watching two madcap people trying to. Well, I'm not going to give a, give the story away. Let's talk about let's talk about Little America, and yeah. and I want to get into episode three, which is the cowboy. Um, it's about a Nigerian student making his way and finding himself in Oklahoma. Uh, in the Oklahoma cowboy culture. Uh, let's have a look. <laughs> Can I help you with something? This is a wonderful place. Thank you. You know your hat size? I do not, but I would like to. What you said this was for again? To wear. Well, right, but to wear, to where? Well, everyone's for something different, see? That's a 10-gallon, a cattleman, a gush, cutter, brick, gambler. What you looking for? I want the hat that is strongest. Such a, I love that scene, but I'm sorry we cut it off at that because to me, the best part of that particular vignette was what came next when the guy says to him, um, what boots are you going to get? And he's like, I'm out of money. I'm not, I don't have any money for boots. And he gives him the boots that he had bought previously and brought back to the store. And we watch this transformation. What's so beautiful about that scene and about this episode and about all of these episodes is the fact that you're seeing an intermingling of cultures. Um, 
Americans and people who have come to this country who are trying to find their way. And in the time that we're in, Kamel, um, it's a dark time uh, in our country. And I'm just wondering, um, having done, done these episodes and working on this project and just you know, being in this country right now, are you hopeful? Um, I would say that I am hopeful. You know, I, I I see. I think the last few weeks I've seen specific signs that make me uh, more optimistic about the direction we're heading. You know, I mean, obviously, you alluded to this, but we're in an era where a certain group of people has has defined what American is in a very narrow way, and what our show shows is there's no such thing. There's no image of American because America truly looks like the world. It sounds like the world. That's what America is. That's been the promise of America. So I'm just seeing uh, people who had not been awakened to sort of the racial issues in this country. I'm seeing a lot more people becoming aware of them just in the last few weeks. So I would say overall, yes, I do feel optimistic. I want to actually throw that question to each of you. Emily, are you hopeful? Yes. Yes, I think so. Yeah, I think it's been. Um... <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't just be like, yes, and then that's I it. Obviously, there's always uh, some like hedging. I, yeah, I do think, I think what's great about art is that it can have an entertainment, I'll say, but won't be as lofty as art, but it has the potential to bring empathy to people, uh, illuminate empathy in people who haven't seen things with their own eyes or experienced things themselves. So, um, I think uh, that we've seen a lot of, of that in the past few weeks, and I, my hope is that our show is a small part of that, that even if you don't, haven't had an interaction with an immigrant to this country personally, that you can watch the show and be like, oh, okay, they're, yeah, they're people, got it. Like, and I think sometimes people don't necessarily um, get that until they experience life or until they kind of watch a form of entertainment that... Um, sparks that in them. So yes, long story short, yes, hopeful. Lee? I too am hopeful. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think we're, I think it's a really tough time that we're in and I think the conversations that we're having are the right conversations and I know the ones that I'm having with my friends and coworkers um, are challenging and I think that even on a show like Little America, we, we have we we have to we have to confront things that I haven't thought about before, and I think that a show like that that a show like Little America that leads with humanity and does show people from all different walks of life and that don't necessarily look like you and are going through things that you might be going through. There's a universality to it, and I think that that's really important. I think that when people see people that don't look like them going through things that they experience, I think that that helps. I, I think that more shows that can exist like this, more books that can exist like this, that become, that fall into the mainstream and that don't kind of live on the, um, on the edges. I think that's really, I think that's really important. You know, I want to bring it, bring in a question from, from one of our viewers. Um, Ellie Hernandez from California asks, do you plan on addressing the immigrant experience in the time of COVID-19 in little America? Um, I would say we do not have plans in the next season to address that because I think we're still in the middle of it. We are all sort of trying to get our head around. It's such a big thing. You know, I feel like we need a little bit of 
distance and hopefully that distance comes soon. I think we need a little bit of perspective and distance uh, before we can write about this. I know personally for me, this has been something uh, has affected me personally. Uh, you know, Emily is immunocompromised, so this is something that hits very clo uh, close to home for us. And I know I'm in no position right now to do any sort of uh, writing on it. I think yet. it also will take time to kind of we're seeing a lot of what the effects of uh, COVID are for marginalized populations already, but I think um, I think A, it's too raw, B, I think we all kind of need time to process it. I'm always a little wary of people who can make art or make entertainment immediately about something that's still kind of happening. So also to say we were still in the middle, we were kind of basically almost finished with writing this season when um, when the shutdown happened. So yeah, we all just, I think, need a little bit of time, including the people of this country. Right, we've already written the next season yeah. when all this stuff happened, so. Um, I'm gonna go to the, the other question that we have, um, and this is coming from Seattle, from, from Ellie Fung. Her question is, what is your favorite episode from the first season and why? I throw that to you to start, Lee. It's really tricky. It's funny. I uh, watching the trailer that you showed before this started. I haven't watched the show now in a few months, and there was a time in my life uh, not too long ago where I had seen every single episode about fifteen times. So I, <laughs> oh, uh, the one that the one that I like the most is the Jaguar, the squash episode. Yeah. And I love that it has the feeling of a sports movie. I'd never seen women squash portrayed in the same way as uh, basketball or football or even Karate and Karate Kid. And I love that there's sports montages, and I don't know. I, it just has a real, it has a really satisfying ending to me. And we we watched. Camille and I were in the uh, in the editing room for that one for an early cut uh, with one of the other producers, and I got completely choked up and had tears streaming down. And the lights came up, and nobody was talking. Sorry, the lights were still dark, and no one was talking. And I was like, oh god, they hate it, and I'm crying, and this is gonna be embarrassing. And then Camille didn't talk, and the other guy didn't talk, and I. And then that was kind of the first moment where I thought, oh, maybe we're on to something. And I think uh, if, if if the episodes have any at all resonate with with uh, with people the way that they were resonating for us in that moment, uh, that you know maybe maybe we have something that that could work. Yeah, all three of us producers were crying, as was the editor who had edited the actual episode. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> it wasn't a surprise what was going to happen. <laughs> I, you know, this gets back to a question of, of process because, uh, Emily, I think you were just saying before when I asked you about the COVID whether COVID-19 would, would factor into a future episode and it, you were saying it's too close, it's too raw, it's too, it's too soon. And I'm just wondering now that you are, I think you said you're, you're still working on season two or you're done? We have, we've technically finished the writing of it. When we will film it, we do not know. Uh, we have technically finished the writing of season two. Yes. Uh, okay. So I was wondering. I, I was wondering. You know. So what can we expect now that the writing is done? What can we expect in season two? Um. Yeah. We did. You know, the first season nobody knew what to expect, and so now I think people have seen what we did with the first season, and it's a lot of kind of people moving into American communities. Um. And what we didn't focus on as much as. Uh, in the first season are communities that are set up within this country that are supportive, that are immigrant communities in America. So I think that's one of the things that we're focusing on uh, for season two. We also are kind of exploring the idea of like, 
you know, we had a lot of uh, protagonists in the first season who were, came here and, and did something amazing. What about the people who come here and are just kind of slackers? They deserve their, to have their stories told too. So I think we're kind of exploring a bit more and opening up. The only, like, uh, I'd say brief for our show is we want a breadth. We want a, a wide variety of kind of stories, of tones, of experiences. And um, we just want to keep opening up that more and more for season two. And I'm going to ask all of you this um, as, a, as a final question, since we're all in quarantine. And I joked before we went on uh, that work from home seems to have become work all the time from home. So how has quarantine affected your pro productivity? How, how have you been more productive or have you sort of turned into a slacker? Kumel, I'll start with you. <laughs> um, I would say I certainly was early on much more productive. You know, there are certainly days where I don't feel as productive, but you know, I, I feel like, um, yeah, I've been, I've been able to do work. It's honestly kept me sane a little bit. You know, I, I feel it's very hard for me to not have like a purpose or, or, or something like that. Like vacations are, are very hard for me. So, so I have been able to, to do, do, do work, which has been very, very helpful. Emily? Um, I work from home. I've been working from home for quite some time. So I tend to be pretty regimented. Uh, I'd worked out quite a schedule for myself. So I was very comfortable working from home. But what, what has been new uh, in this quarantine time is the, this thing of, um, oh, today's just not going to happen. Do you want to sit down and you're, you're just so, you're worried, you're angry, you're scared, you're checking the news constantly and realizing that at a certain point, like, this just needs to be a day that you don't get work done because what I was doing was getting really angry with myself for not getting work done. Um, and you can't have those days every day, but every once in a while, I think it's, we have to like be okay with uh, kind of living in what the moment is and not pretending that uh, everything's okay, which is what I'm able to do most days. Mm -hmm. That I'm in the Emily school, that's me. Lee, final word to you. Are you productive? <laughs> More productive than Really so I definitely prefer to leave uh, my house to work. And so this has been a little bit of an adjustment. Um, a desk that I bought, I think, 15 years ago has now started getting some run in the house, which is good. <laughs> and kind of along the lines of what Camille is saying, um, there are days where you just, you kind of just lose, you, you lose your energy a little bit in, in a way that I didn't expect because I, I am kind of a workaholic and I feel very comfortable doing that. And they're just days where you turn on the news or a tweet comes in and you just kind of, the, the wind's taken out of your sails. What's been fortunate for me is I've been, I've been quarantining with my fiance, my fiance of a week. And we, I feel like the dips that we have have not been at the same time. So one of us could be down for a day and then the other one kind of is there to pick the other one up, which is mm -hmm. nice. Um, and I don't know if that would have worked if it was just me and my emotional support dog. <laughs> Lee, Kumel, Emily, thank you very much for uh, coming on uh, Washington Post Live and talking about your Apple Plus series, Little America. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.